brothers and sisters, welcome to the LDS Fishers of Men podcast. I am your host, Alan, and we are on episode 18. It's been a little bit. This uh, month of July, has, we've had a lot of holidays, a lot of family stuff going on, so I, uh, I purposely took a little bit of a break, uh, tried to get some things done. Also trying to work on getting some, uh, some better hardware that makes it so I can... Uh, uh, record in, in different locations and stuff like that. Working on doing some updates to the channel, so there are some good things um, ahead. Possibly looking at doing some video as well. Um, if that's something that you guys would be interested in, just put it down in the comment section and uh, we'll see. If you guys just like the podcast, then there's no reason to go forward with that. But if you guys want more of a, uh, maybe like a talking head or a a um more of a interactive type thing then let me know and we'll see what we can do um looking to have fun with it while at the same time uh spreading the gospel and of course uh we will never accept money here at the channel this is something that i do that i have designed to be as a sacrifice of time and talents um in defense of the the foundation of christ and really is a something that I, I I have that I have the talent to do um, myself that I can give to Christ as a gift um, also to raise my voice in support of the Savior as I hope that I did in the pre-existence so I wanted to talk a little bit today I've I've been mulling over some subjects and I have some I have some episodes in the works that I've been putting material together for. Um, I'm going to touch on one of them, not do a full presentation, but I, it, it, I, I really have something that kind of struck a chord with me and I wanted to share with you guys. If you read in the Old Testament, you will see that when Israel, um, came into the promised land and Moses had to stay behind because of you know things that had happened they weren't allowed to take Moses with them not you know a lot of people misconstrue what happened and it was not a punishment for Moses it was a punishment on Israel to not allow Moses to be with them to enter into the promised land with them they weren't allowed to have that <clears throat> that uh, higher priesthood with them and stuff like that. When they entered in <coughs> and they saw the inhabitants of the land, they saw these, these Nephilim, right? These sons of Anak. Um, super interesting stuff, guys. They, they saw Canaanites. They, they saw, you know, all of these, these people there who now were ripe they were ripe for destruction, right? These people had for hundreds and hundreds of years had indulged and had um, gone away from the gospel and had adopted pagan ideology and were practicing pagan uh, rituals, many of which were uh, sexual in nature 
also included human sacrifice of the nastiest order, uh, infanticide type stuff. Very nasty stuff. And I don't want to go into it too much, but one of the uh, predominant things, and I'm going to give you just a little a little window into into something. So traditionally, if you go back to Easter, how, how we celebrate Easter, right, across the world, it's kind of a mixture, right? See that the, the Catholic Church was not, in order for them to be successful, they couldn't just come in and steamroll stuff and then put, put in uh, Christianity. In order to make things more palpable, uh, in order to allow those those uh, communities of people to adopt uh, this new religion, they kind of had to mix some things together. One of those things uh, involving Easter, you know, I, I remember as a kid getting those those Easter eggs, and you would dip them, you would dye them, and you would decorate them and stuff like that. And you'd hide them. Uh, that's all stems from ultra pagan stuff <laughs> now obviously it's it's harmless now right going out there and and having an easter egg hunt don't misunderstand what i'm saying you know you can still have your easter egg hunt and and be a totally fine with with jesus but you know understanding where this stuff comes from it goes back to a lot of this pagan stuff and you can see this stuff practiced um with the canaanites specifically with the easter eggs so the you know the uh the the priest and the priestesses part of their rituals involved uh, uh sexual intercourse with each other the fruit or the children that came from those uh super wicked orgy like uh things that happened would then the following year be offered up as sacrifices to Baal, or, you know, you can insert any one of your pagan gods here, because this, there really is kind of a cookie-cutter thing that you can do with a lot of this stuff, because it all stems from the same source, right? So they would, then, the the blood that came from that sacrifice of that child, they would take eggs and dip it into the blood, and that's, that's where a lot of that stuff comes from. Super wicked, super evil. Um, not going to go into it too much because I don't want to detract from the spirit here, but just as a way of illustration to show what kind of wickedness we're dealing with here, what kind of depravity we're dealing with here, not only mixing uh, sexual immorality, sexual, you know, abominable acts that, that, that occurred, but also involving murder, involving sacrifice to dumb idols. Now, this type of stuff was going on, and they had been practicing this stuff and practicing this stuff, the Canaanites and those peoples who lived in the land, in the promised land, to the point of them being ripe for destruction. So, you know, imagine what I've just told you. That's, that's but a little, a little bite, a little bite-sized piece of things that were happening. There was a lot more that went along with that, a lot more uh, that they shared in common with Sodom and Gomorrah and stuff. 
things that we are starting to really experience and see flaunted in front of our faces today. So you have the God's chosen people now entering the scene. This land has been promised to Abraham and his descendants, right? It is to be a promised land unto them. Now, we know that when, when a land is promised, the land itself is, is going to be blessed. It comes with a blessing. If you have a promised land, there's going to be some serious blessings attached. You will have food, right? That's why they call it the land of milk and honey. Okay, you will have food in abundance. You will have protection, right? The Lord will protect the land Himself. The land will will literally have this symbiotic relationship with the chosen people. However, that also comes with a flip side to that coin. If, if the people refuse God, if they refuse the God of the land, who is the great Jehovah, the land will turn on those people. It will turn on them, and the land itself, it explains in the Old Testament, will, it will literally expel the inhabitants. The land itself will react, right? It will start to withhold its strength. Uh, when you try to get crops from it, it will, you know, you'll have a lot of uh, natural disasters. You will have a lot of these things that it explains in the scriptures, right? We, we can see it happen. A lot of times we don't think about that, but it, it's, it's a promise it, that, that there is a blessing and a cursing that goes along with that. So, these people are existing upon the land they are they are involved in horrible things and the you know Jehovah has told them that you are to go in to these places and you are to wipe them out down to the animals wipe them out let's pause here for a moment this subject is is the subject of criticism from a lot of, of atheists, a lot of people who have a problem with uh, Christianity, with Judaism, right? And they conflate uh, a lot of this stuff to a God who is bloodthirsty, who is vengeful, right? Let's, let's take a minute here and let's, let, let, let's talk about this because that is an important thing to cover. And it's something that I think anybody who's honest with themselves has had a question about. And it's like, gosh, that sounds really brutal. Really brutal. I mean, you're talking about infants? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is uncomfortable to talk about, isn't it? So they're, ta they're, they're saying from the, from the adults down through the entire uh, community to the animals, wipe them out. Why? Why is that, brothers and sisters? Why would you go through and wipe out an entire community down to the animal? Now, I will 
preface this by saying there is stuff in there, and this is not a cop-out. This, this is just the way it is. It is what it is. There is a lot of stuff that we do not have as far as the Nephilim, right? That's the offspring of the sons of, of God and the daughters of men type thing, okay? They, they, in English, uh, in the King James English, they translated it to giants, okay? The, in the Hebrew, it's Nephilim. These people, they, it would seem, they had physical attributes that separated them from the rest of humanity. And it's something interesting to study, it is something interesting to think about. We do not have all of the answers nor material on these people. I don't know if that is because of uh, wicked men pulling things out that they didn't want them to see. I don't know if that has something to do with our future and playing into the future. I don't know. It's interesting. It's, it's, frankly, it's kind of a fun study. And you arrive to some pretty uh, incredible things when you study into this. One thing that we note is that they had six fingers and six toes. And that it was not a, uh, de a, deform, uh, a, a deformation, I guess. This was something that was functional. It, it existed with them. It was one of the trademarks of their physiology. They were also incredibly large people, right? Uh, let's take one of the, probably the best known uh, giant, right? Son of Anak, would have been Goliath. Goliath had brothers, right? Goliath was a very large person. And when you take into account the dimensions that it gives for Goliath, for his spear, uh, for his armor. We're talking about lifting, you know, carrying around armor that was like 400 pounds. Okay, this was a large man. And I think a lot of times people get uncomfortable when we talk about this stuff because you might as well be talking about dinosaurs, right? I think that we need to take some of these things at their word, right? It's it's one of those things that we can go into, we can study into the, the student manuals, we can look into the Hebrew text. It's saying exactly what it's saying. This is not a metaphor for just a mighty man. This dude was a giant. That is why he was so imposing. That's why nobody wanted to fight him. There was something about him that was insurmountable. To send a regular, you know, six-foot dude against him who weighs 185 pounds, right? Maybe, maybe two, 200, 220 in armor, wielding a sword, right? That's maybe a, a two-and-a-half-foot, three-foot sword. It would have been suicide, right? This guy was huge. Probably weighed upwards of a thousand pounds. You know what I'm saying? Like... We're, this is a big dude that we're talking about here. Now, not only... only I, I'm bringing this up for a reason here, because there's 
a lot of times people don't want to go into this. They don't want to talk about it. I'm going to put it to you as uh, something to think about. Okay. And this next part is the gospel according to Alan. Okay, I want to make that clear. Could there have been something in the DNA to where God did not want that DNA mixing with the rest of humanity? I don't know. I'm putting that to you as a question. I brought this up in uh, in class. In uh, It's called Gospel Doctrine. And it made everybody really uncomfortable. <laughs> and I didn't know why. I was just, I was putting it out there saying, because uh, this, this question came up. Why would you wipe out a, a community or communities down to the animal? And I, I said, well, there's a lot that we don't know. But we know that they have six fingers, six toes. Um, if you separate that and you go into the history of America and you go to a lot of the old newspapers from way back in the day, they have a lot of photos of, of giants. There are American Indian legends of giants and there are uh, similarities where they have six fingers, six toes. In every case, they were usually at odds with regular human beings. Interesting stuff, and I could delve di deeper into it, but that's not the point of what I'm trying to delve home here. I'm simply putting that to you, um, and if you study the book of Enoch along with this, which I'm not saying is scripture, but I'm saying that it's interesting, okay? This is fun, fun gospel sci-fi stuff to go into, okay? Uh, Hugh Nibley talks about it a lot as well, and he's he's got his opinions on it and stuff like that. Fascinating stuff. So I will put it to you that perhaps the Lord needed to snuff out some bloodlines that were impure, that had corrupted uh, the DNA of Adam with something else, I don't know, and had... Um, in an effort to possibly corrupt mankind's DNA. I, I don't know. But I find that to be something very intriguing when we're talking about wiping out an entire community. I don't know if if Goliath was you know had the spirit of a man that came from the pre-existence, or if that that Nephilim body was created for demonic habitation. I, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? I have no idea. And neither do you and neither does anybody else. Maybe President Nelson knows that and he's he just doesn't talk about it. I don't know. I put that to you as a possible explanation as far as the Nephilim, King Og, the giants. They were to be wiped out without exception, right? And it would seem that the Israelites had no problem wiping them out. When it came to the giant people, it was like, okay, let's, let's wipe them out. <laughs> okay, there was no reservations. Let's take them out. So they did. And that was a huge, you know, that was basically like an army of Davids taking on an army of Goliaths. 
so that that's huge that they were able to take them out and it's only by the power of jehovah that they were able to do that now let's stepping from that let's talk about uh canaanites okay and others who lived in that area who were not giants who did not have six fingers six toes who were just like you and i but who had uh, fallen away you know, going back to going back to Noah's time, right? No, you have Noah, where mankind funnels back all the way to Noah and his three sons. Okay. They had the truth. They had the pureness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. From that time down to where we now have the Israelites marching upon the promised land, there had obviously been some really serious. Um, apostasy among some very large civilizations of people including the Egyptians which we had you know previously in the Old Testament we we talk about and we learn a lot about their pagan uh, ideology which mirrors what the is or, or excuse me which mirrors what the Canaanites have there's a reason for that we're not going to go into it too much but Suffice it to say that you can take a lot of these gods and goddesses and they have extremely similar stuff. And some of that similar stuff is extremely reminiscent of the gospel itself. It's a, it's a dark mirror of it, right? You will find uh, Christ-like stories among, like... The Egyptians, you will find them among uh, the Canaanites, right? Dealing with Baal. And there's a reason for that. And I, you know, we, 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 we've covered this somewhat in speaking about touch not the unclean thing, right? In those uh, part one and part two, it's because Satan cannot, he cannot create things. He can only take and twist he can twist the truth until it becomes a dark uh, version of it, right? And it has to mimic it. It always has to mimic it, but it's using a dark version, dark power, a dark adaptation of the truth. Okay? So we we come to the Canaanites, and the, the edict from God is the same as it is with the giants, with the Nephilim. Wipe them out, down to uh, the animals. Now let's talk about why. Because now we're not talking about a possible, I put it to you, possible. Don't say that Alan is saying that, this, that the, the Nephilim had impure DNA. I'm saying that purely as a possibility. Because either way, it, it, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter because we have the example of the Canaanites who we, you know, if we're just going face value here, they were just like you and I, okay? They ranged in height. They had five fingers, five toes. These were regular people, okay? So that will make a lot of people uncomfortable because we're talking about possibly... You know, we're talking about some serious um, putting people and animals under the sword of all sorts of ages and stuff like that. And that sounds brutal, doesn't it? Sounds very brutal.
And hang with me here, because this is a big, giant setup to what we're talking about. But it's we need to understand and cover this stuff. When they were, when they came to wipe them out, right? When they were commanded to wipe them out, why is it that they were commanded to wipe them out? Well, we can look at our society today and we see that human sex trafficking is at an all-time high. Uh, slavery, human sex slavery, as well as slavery in general, there has never been more slavery uh, or slave trade going on than there is today. That's something that a lot of people don't talk about. There is so much depravity. There is so much stuff going on behind the scenes. And I'm not going to go too much into any um, conspiracy theories or anything like that. But I will say, without a doubt, that there is... I will um, line my voice up with, with Moroni and Mormon in saying that there are... There are Gadianton robbers, there are secret combinations, that those are the words he used with secret combinations, that have been allowed to get over us as a people. And if you don't think that these pagan things are, are happening, in, including the human sacrifice and child sacrifice, then you are willingly ignorant. And I say that with love. Okay? Not only were children sacrificed, they were abused, and it was ritualistic, okay? Abused in every way, shape, or fashion, including sexual abuse. That is happening today, and there is a, there is a satanic push to normalize pedophilia. This was happening with the Canaanites as well. Okay, there is some dark, dark stuff. If you ever made a movie about the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Book of Mormon, you could not get away with putting some of that stuff on screen. You just couldn't. There is some very dark stuff that uh, that it it touches on and it does so in a tasteful way but basically this stuff was happening and had become so normalized so much a part of their culture everyday life that they didn't bat an eye nobody in the Canaanite culture batted an eye at the uh, sexual abuse that happened to not only the the children, not only to the same-sex people, you know, rape, um, incest, everything, every depravity you can think of. Not only was that stuff happening with them, it was happening with the animals as well. Okay, there was bestiality, and it was all very ritualistic. It obviously, I'm sure that there were some things where it was just, you know. As Aleister Crowley would say, do as thou wilt, right? Do whatever you want. Have fun, okay? There was also religious rites and practices that incorporated this stuff into 
uh, into the civilization. Now, knowing that, knowing that, you have an animal who is used to being used a certain way for a sick purpose, will that animal ever be able to go back to, like, will it be able to unlearn that behavior? And I'm being extremely vague about it because I, I don't want to go into it. It's disgusting. <clears throat> I will give you an analogy from today. There was a zookeeper who, come to find out, had been uh, doing nasty things with some of the zoo animals. And every time people came by, the animals became aroused. Right? It was now learned, trained behavior. Um, I have chickens. When I go out, one of the ways that I got my chickens to like me and to not be scared of me, as because we, we free range them in the, in the yard, was I go out there and I will bring food, whether it be mealworms or whether it be just like a little treat for them, like one of my kids didn't eat their, their tortilla or something like that. I'll rip them up into teeny pieces and I will put it into my hands and I will come out and I will do a little whistle, right? And I will sit there on the ground, they will crowd around me, and they will eat out of my hands. Okay, now when I go out there, they run to me. Every time they hear that gate open, they sprint over like little raptors to me. And they are looking at me for food. Okay, it's, it's learned behavior. That's now a part of them. It's a part of who they are. And it was the same way with those poor zoo animals, and it was the same way with those poor animals that belonged under, uh, to those Canaanites. They had trained these animals into behaviors that were now a part of those animals, and you cannot untrain that out of them, right? These were... The entire civilization was at that point. The entire community was at that point. Okay? The spirits that our Father in Heaven were sending into these little bodies that were being created by the Canaanites had a 0% chance of making it. 0%. There was no way. This community, this civilization, had become ripe. Meaning that Heavenly Father sending those innocent spirits to these civilizations was sending lambs to the slaughter, to the spiritual slaughter. Now you see where it's an act of mercy, right? It really is in the same vein as seeing an animal who is suffering, who is, you know, mortally wounded, sitting there in incredible pain. The humane thing to do at that point is to put the animal down. Whether it's a horse, a cow, whatever, you put it down. You end the suffering and allow its spirit to separate from its body to go on to its eternal reward, right? This civilization was so bad 
that sending spirits into inhabit the, the bodies created by these wicked people were then abused and they were mentally conditioned to believe in the paganistic ritual, ritualization um, dealing with sex, dealing with bestiality, dealing with murder, blood, all of that horrible stuff. There was no way that they could come out of that without having those things a part of them. And that goes with the animals as well, as we have discussed. It is a mercy. It is a mercy in order for those little spirits to go to bodies where they have a chance. Where they have a chance to make it. Right? If you're looking at this with an eternal perspective in mind and you're not looking at it with a really myopic view, then you see where it's like, okay, I get it. I, I totally get that. Wipe them out. Just wipe them out. Okay? Now, we look at the scriptures. And we have the benefit of hindsight. And I used to really be really critical of Israel. And then I grew up. <laughs> I spiritually grew up. Because we look and we see that they Israel went in and in some cases they did. They wiped out the Nephilim, the giant people, okay? They wiped them out. However, when it came to the Canaanites, they did not. They did not. And whether that was through Satan using compassion, I, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. I do know that... Um, there were many other times, many other instances of Israel coming in, the men looking at the daughters of that civilization. And this obviously happened with the Canaanites as well. And they would say, man, those gals are hot. Maybe, you know, let, let's not be too hasty here, right? And so they would spare. Not only would they spare the people, they would spare the animals and stuff like that. And in some, in some of the cases, you know, a lot of times they would they would keep their treasure and stuff, and that obviously had some really bad effects. Now, why are we talking about this? Why am I bringing this up, brothers and sisters? Why am I bringing this up? It is interesting to look. Like I say, hindsight is twenty twenty. It is interesting to look at the history of, you know, the Old Testament to look into these people and to see what happened as a result of sparing these civilizations, of sparing the Canaanites. In many cases, they intermarried with them. Now, the Canaanites were practicing their religion, which was Baal worship. The Israelites were worshiping Jehovah. If you haven't ever studied 
the religion of Baal worship, you should, because it will give you a new appreciation of our Israelite ancestors and to as to why they adopted it so readily. Why it was not really a huge deal, right? You really could ease somebody into this. The, um, the doctrine, if you look at it on paper, and you look at um, Baal, who, who Baal is, Baal is just a, it's their word of Lord. Okay? And I don't mean Lord like with a capital L and then lowercase O-R-D. I mean it was it was their version of Jehovah, okay? Now, King James English, many times, most of the time, except for maybe once I can think of, whenever it says the name Jehovah in the Old Testament, it will substitute uh, Lord, all caps, L-O-R-D, all caps. It will substitute Lord in place of Jehovah for fear of saying the name too frequently and losing the sacred respect that they have. Um, Baal, they, uh, they left that untranslated because it would be kind of confusing to the reader to see Lord so many places, so they left it as Baal. Baal simply means Lord, okay? And it is the apostate version of Jehovah, okay? Baal was... Um, Basically, Baal was the son of El, okay, which is total, totally parallel with, with the, the Israelites. They believed in El as well, Elohim, right? He, so Baal was the son of El as well as uh, Ashtaroth, I believe. And he was uh, sacrificed, but he was resurrected three days later. You, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> There's some stuff, you know. When you look at it on paper, you're saying, oh my gosh, this is, this is the gospel, right? If you go back to some of the earliest records that they have on the Canaanite religion, you will see that it was identical to what the Israelites believed. They even had the Ten Commandments supposedly before the Israelites had the Ten Commandments, and I believe they did. Because there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Those Ten Commandments, I'm sure that everybody had them. We need to remember that Moses had, he was a restorer, right? Just like how, you know, any of you who served a mission, you remember those gospel dispensations? how a period of apostasy would happen after getting the truth, and God would have to call a prophet to come in and restore the gospel. Okay, that's what Moses had to do. He had to restore the gospel, teach it to them anew. But this was stuff that was known to Abraham. This was known to Isaac. This was known to Jacob. Okay, they knew about the Ten Commandments. They knew about the, the, the priesthood of Melchizedek. They knew about all of this stuff. But this had to be retaught over and over and over throughout the ages, the Israelites being no exception. So we see that the further back you go to one in one of these dispensations, like 
if you go back, to, you know, from when the flood happened to the dispensational head, Enoch, you'll find the truth, right? Uh, going back to, to uh, Cain, you know, when there was that apostasy, going back to the dispensation head, which was the first, the Ancient of Days, obviously Michael, the Archangel, Adam. Okay, we have the gospel in its pureness. And then it is a slight deviation, slight deviation, slight deviation, until you arrive at a point where you are uh, having having ritualistic orgies and, you know, you're sacrificing children. However, you can still see remnants of the truth there, right? This is something that that a lot of uh, atheists will use, try to use against us. They say, well, you, you can find all of this stuff that mirrors what you guys have, what, you know, about Christ, the Christ story. And it's like, yeah, that's because... At one time, everybody had the truth. Okay, that's why you have similarities with the Egyptian uh, pantheon of gods, as well as the Greek pantheon of gods. Similar stories, similar attributes, similar gods about what their gods over and stuff like that. It's no different with the Canaanites. Okay, it's just with the Canaanites a little more on the nose, because it's closer to one of those dispensational heads. It's fascinating stuff to look at, and it's fascinating stuff to study. But knowing that, and I'm, I'm not going too far into it here. I gave you just just that little window into how closely those religions mirror each other. The Canaanites, uh, their altars, and the altars of the Israelites. If to the untrained eye, they are identical. Most people can't tell them apart. Okay. One of the ways that you would tell those apart is to look at the ramp. The ramp that goes up to the altar of sacrifice. If it was steps, if they used carved steps, like stairs, then we know that that's not Israelite. Okay? Why is that? Well, because it's in the Law of Moses. It's in your Old Testament. Uh, look it up. They have a rule about that. In order for you to not see... Uh, the priests, you know, not wearing any underwear as he's going up, okay? The Lord said, you know, in order for us to not see their nakedness, we're going to use a ramp, a gradual incline ramp that will lead us up to uh, the, the altar, okay? Just a little teeny little detail right there. But when we see, it makes a huge difference, right? Now, I'm going to take a little shot at the uh, at, at the South Central America theory here. Do those temples have steps? Okay. Do they uh, w do they qualify under the law of Moses if they have steps? Just throwing that out there. So, going back to our our analogy here, we have the Canaanites. They didn't kill them off. You can see where the Israelites would look at what they were believing, at what they they their doctrine was, and they're like, "This is, this is our doctrine, basically." Now, you give them enough, okay? You give them some scripture. You give them some uh, some correct principles, even with with having a Lord with having a 
father in heaven with having a heavenly mother. Do you know what I'm saying? You add some stuff up. And then you add some philosophy of men. That's the secret ingredient. Okay? We add some philosophy of men. We mingle that with what we have, which mirrors what the Israelites had. You now have uh, some some bite-sized chunks of pure protein that you can start feeding these guys. Add on top of that the natural man uh, sexual urges, okay, where they are saying, look, you can have religion. You can also have the natural man uh, urges of, of sexual intercourse and just let loose with it, right? As a matter of fact, it's incorporated into our religion. You can see where a lot of these guys, if they are being allowed to give in, if you know, it was easier for them to justify it. It was easier for them to justify it because it mirrored it and it was tempting. It had that temptation factor to it. There was that, that sexual hook that was there, right? And you're getting promised all of these all of these things, and pretty soon Israelites are starting to have this huge problem where they are mixing, they are mingling, and they are converting over to the gospel of Baal. That's why it was such a huge problem, because it was so close. It was so close, yet so far away. It's that cliche line, right? It was close enough to get them hooked, yet so far away because of all of the, the horrible, terrible things that it wound up. The end result was them taking part in a lot of these evil, wicked practices, even offering up their children to dumb idols. Okay. Why am I bringing this up? What is this whole entire presentation for today? Why are we talking about this? Okay, is it just for us to understand the Israelites? Brothers and sisters, I will put it to you. This podcast is meant for members of the church. It is specifically targeted at members of the church who are falling away or perhaps who have already fallen away. I'll first off state that there is always an answer, regardless of if we know it now or if it is forthcoming, there will always be an answer. And for me, having questions about why the Lord would cause an entire civilization to be wiped out, I got answers to that. And it wasn't until later on in my life that I got some answers that were that satisfied me, that were truthful, you know, rather than just be people who don't want to talk about it. These are things we need to talk about, right? Second, the doctrine of Baal is being adopted right now by members of our church. Perhaps you've adopted it. And I'm not saying the exact same doctrine of Baal. I'm using it metaphorically. Okay. One of the things that the Baal worshippers would do, they would go into a grove and they would pray to Ashtaroth, who was Heavenly Mother. Okay. 
they they would uh, go in and they would worship her. She and, and there was a lot of fertility things that went along with it. Obviously, there was a lot of sexual things and sexual rites that happened in those groves. Okay. You can you can Google some of those uh, statues that they have. They are extremely sexual. But is that happening now? Is there a deviation? from the gospel of Israel. We are Israel, right? The gospel was restored in this dispensation by Joseph Smith. There has been an unbroken line of authority from Joseph Smith to President Nelson. There are factions within our church that have broken off because they believe that there was a break in that line of authority and that perhaps it lies with Joseph Smith's posterity. Um, they think that, you know, Emma Smith was correct and they have chosen to go that way, right? And if you, it, it's one of those things where if you look at it logically, it's like the scriptures themselves say that the gospel would not be taken again from the earth. That the Lord, the Lord constantly claims his house. He claims his people. And when they mess up, he let them know. Look at what happened to our people getting expelled from, uh, from, from those, uh, basically the United States into what was then Mexico, getting sent to Utah, right? They had to leave the, the country. That just wasn't the Lord abandoning us. That was as a, a result of our people not being worthy and not listening to the Lord, not being worthy to redeem Zion, as they were called to do. We're looking now and we are seeing people, like we see these different drop-offs, okay? And they will find that they want to cling to maybe 80% of the doctrine, maybe even 90%, 95%. And then they will take, and they will start adopting some weird little thing, like Heavenly Mother worship, which is not a new thing. It goes back to Baal worship. It goes back to Ashtaroth. It goes back to the Egyptians. It's uh, Eshtar, right? It goes back to Eshtar. It's the same. It's analogous. These are the same goddesses, the same goddess, the you know the uh, the, the the mother goddess. It goes back to Semiramses. Okay, look these names up. This goes back to the Tower of Babel. We have answers as to where this stuff comes from. You know, we we. We dog on the Israelites because we have the benefit of 2020 and we are doing the same exact things that they are doing. Some members of the church wanted to continue to practice polygamy. And when the manifesto came out that we were not to practice uh, polygamy anymore, they said, well, I'm going to keep 90% of the gospel and I'm going to keep practicing polygamy. Okay. That was a direct parallel to the Israelites saying, I'm going to keep 90% of the doctrine, 
but I want to be able to uh, engage in, in sexual intercourse with many, many partners during ritualistic rites, okay? It's the same thing. Okay, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, that polygamy as prescribed by God is that at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when polygamy is not prescribed by God, okay, we know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all absolutely in line with God while having multiple wives, okay, because it was, it was prescribed by God. We also know of times, such as in the Book of Mormon, when that was not uh, being being practiced at that time. Okay, it's that is up to God. It is at His discretion. That is not us, because we have the natural man. We are fallible, and just like the Israelites, we are modern day Israel. Okay, we can't we can't leave stuff like that up to us because we'll justify the heck out of it in order to get what we want. That's just, that's the natural man. Very few people are capable of fighting that and recognizing that they are in error. We see people dropping off now because of different things and it's nothing but a rehash as to what happened with ancient Israel. They are adopting philosophies of, of man, and they are mingling it with their religion. Now I say, you know, I, I bring up the fact that people are praying to Heavenly Mother. On paper, that doesn't sound that bad, does it? It doesn't sound bad. However, have we, how have we been counseled to pray? The Lord himself in the New Testament has given us a formula as to how we are to pray. Okay, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done. Okay, You see where I'm going with this? There is zero zero direction from on high to pray to our Heavenly Mother. We know we have a Heavenly Mother. We don't know a lot more other than that. Many people have uh, put forth the idea that it is because that she, that she is sacred, obviously, and that Heavenly Father wishes for her to not be defamed, to be blasphemed, and things of that nature, I don't know. But the end result is, we haven't been given any fur further light and knowledge on that subject. So why would you take it upon yourself to further that light and knowledge? Has that ever worked out for anybody doing that? Okay, let's take, um, I'm going to tread carefully here, but I'm going to be somewhat bold. Let's take Emma Smith. I have a lot of love and respect for Emma because she went through hell. She went through absolute hell. 
That being said, I do believe that she will have some things to answer for. And that maybe she has already answered for those things, I don't know. A lot of people have a problem with the fact that Brigham Young stepped in. You see, Oliver Cowdery was um, basically saying, hey, we need to hurry up and make me the next prophet. I believe it was Oliver Cowdery. Um, Brother Brigham said, we don't do anything until we, could, we get the twelve together. We do nothing until we get the twelve together. Okay? We see that this is when there was a split. Okay? We see that this, this was the beginning of a, of, of a big split where you, you get what is now, I believe they call themselves the Community of Christ. They used to be the RLDS right? And then you have the LDS Church, right? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What uh, resulted after that with the RLDS, Emma had a large hand in setting that church up, right? And having her son, Joseph Smith's son, uh, become the, the, the next, you know, prophet in line and stuff like that. They adopted much. Basically, it was identical to what uh, the, the truth was, right? Up until that point. It was just simply a break-off. Well, you go down the line, and they were forced to uh, basically say the Book of Mormon. They, they had to ditch the Book of Mormon in order to get some money from a group of Christian churches that would that helped other churches and stuff like that, okay? Just one of those things. And I don't bring that up to dog on Emma at all. I bring it up to make a point that we need to be extremely careful. Because there will be, and there have been, voices, LDS voices, who are professed... Um, Experts, scholars, you know, in, in different positions of authority to be able to speak on certain things, and they will call out the prophet and disagree with the prophet. And they are leading people away with flax and cords, brothers and sisters. And if this has happened to you, please do a gut check. Are you in the camp of Oliver Cowdery and Emma Smith who are believing everything? Everything except for the fact of Brigham Young being the most senior apostle, being the president of the Quorum of the Twelve, and being the next in line. Are you in that position now to where it has just happened? Okay. Maybe it was COVID. Maybe it was a that COVID moment for you was your your Emma and Oliver Cowdery moment. Greg, this is bunk. 
Okay. To those people, it to them it was like, well, this is obvious, right? This is this is obvious. Like Joseph Smith would want his son to be the next prophet. Okay. Not harping on these guys. I'm just saying. The truth was so dang close. It was just a minor detail. It was the difference between a ramp and steps. That small. Yet, with the benefit of hindsight, we can look back and see what happened to what is now the community of Christ, right? And I'm not dogging on them. I'm not. I have compassion in my heart for... for Anybody that gets led astray like that, because this is hard. You know, it's interesting because there's a lot of things that we want to believe. There's a lot of things that we will twist ourselves into pretzels to believe. And I will restate something that I began with in this channel, and that was follow the prophet, he knows the way. And it's not because he is a genius, it is because he is receiving instruction. He is receiving guidance. He is the mouthpiece for the great Jehovah. Okay. Brigham Young was the most senior apostle. He was the president of the Quorum of the Twelve. He was next in line. I guarantee he did not want to be next in line. There's no way. He just watched Joseph Smith get murdered. That's not a position that any any man would want to be in. I see today people, my people, being led away by foolish things like like what we have seen them get led, led away with recently, with completely analogous to what the Canaanites uh, were selling to the Israelites right it's the it's 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 basically your religion dude it's basically your however you, this is where you guys got it wrong and this is how it's supposed to be this is what the lord right this is what lord wants the son of el this is what he really wants you to do your prophet got it wrong moses got it wrong Actually, Moses had it right, but Joshua got it wrong. Okay, do you see what I'm saying here? Like, Nephi said to liken the scriptures. I always thought that was kind of hard to do because we live in different times. The older I've gotten, especially the last couple of years, <laughs> it's easy. We are doing the same exact thing things that they did. We just have iPhones now. We just have cars. Our mindset is exactly the same as our ancestors. The th struggles that they had, whether sexual, whether, uh, uh, you know, 
pick your favorite sin. You could steal, whatever, smoking, all that crap, drugs, the pharmacia, right? We have the same struggles that they had in the same mindset. Yet here we are. Here we are, making the same mistakes while holding the scriptures up in our hands and preaching from them, completely ignoring what, what pitfalls and mistakes our ancestors made. We have their words to our benefit. We can see when they deviated what happened. Brothers and sisters, I raise my voice in support of the foundation of the Lord's house. Notice I didn't say the foundation of President Nelson's house, the foundation of Moses's house, the foundation of Adam's house, Abraham's house, take your pick, President Monson's house, Joseph Smith's house. This is the Lord's house. He He is the architect of this church. He is the one who has laid the foundations of the earth. He is the one that has laid the foundations of this church of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This church is what Moses would be a part of today. It is what Joshua would be a part of today. Adam, Abraham, Enoch. Okay, Those guys would probably have an easier time with our church today than they would with the Israelites because they had such a drastic, you know, a drastic kind of punishment happen to them where they had to learn those outward ordinances. They would have just been like, oh, yeah, the Messiah's come. Okay, cool. Yeah. It wouldn't be a jump for them. I raise my voice because I see my people falling prey my Israelite brothers and sisters falling prey to Baal worship today. And it doesn't start out as Baal worship, and you, you can not even tell. It's the difference between steps and a ramp. It's just a small little thing. President Nelson is a fallen prophet. Seems like a big thing. But when you look at it in the grand scheme of things and the history of the church and stuff and where they are right now, it's just a small little thing. We're keeping the rest of it. Right? Or perhaps you believe that clear on back through, you know, 
years and years ago, at some point, there was a separation. There was a falling away that happened, and that this current church, in, in its iteration as it stands, is an apostate version of it. And the Lord is not speaking to the prophet in the Quorum of the Twelve. Never mind the fact that that doesn't exist anywhere else on the earth, right? And is a, like, a part of the foundation that you have to have, <laughs> right? To be a part of the true church, you kind of have to ignore some pretty serious uh, uh, columns and pillars to be able to get to that point. One of the things that uh, is distressing to me is that, you know, a lot of, of my brethren, especially those of you who served missions, those who have fallen away, and who now are under the banner of some offshoot of of the LDS Church in its current form. Can you look back on those priesthood blessings that you gave? Can you look back on those things and can you deny the power that you felt? as you bless those people, your brothers and sisters. If this church is not the true church, I'll give you a clue. It's either the Jews or it's the Catholics. Okay? That's simple. Just using pure logic in the scriptures. Either the Jews are right, the Messiah hasn't come yet, which Isaiah has a few things to say about that, okay? But either they, either that doctrine is the truth, the, the Ju Judaism, or it's the Catholicism, and that the church was never taken from the earth after Christ and the Twelve Apostles. After the Twelve Apostles uh, were killed off, John the Beloved uh, banished to the Isle of Patmos and then disappears from history, basically. Like, basically, none of that matters. And the whole having, you know, being built on a foundation of prophets and apostles with Christ being the chief cornerstone, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 stuff, right? The, the Lord just doesn't care about that anymore. And, you know, Catholicism in its current form is the correct church. Everything else is an offshoot of all of that, right? Or, there have been dispensations. And in those dispensations, there's been a falling away. And there has been a prophet called to head up another dispensation where the truth has been restored. The funny, interesting thing about this final dispensation being that it would never again be taken from the earth. Look to the prophet, look to the quorum of the twelve. That is the foundation of hand-picked bricks and mortar that the Lord has chosen and I'm talking about 
the great Jehovah. Brothers and sisters, I... I bear you my testimony. I do so somberly, knowing that many of my brothers and sisters have fallen prey and have itching ears, as the scriptures would say. They are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, quote-unquote doctrine, and they get fooled by the steps when they should be following the ramp. Center yourself on the gospel. Center yourself on Christ and center yourself on His prescribed method, on His prescribed doctrine. Do not seek doctrine that mimics what you already have, but then adds something to it that you want. If you have a problem with polygamy, have a problem with polygamy, but take it up with the Lord. If you have a problem with the fact that Heavenly Mother doesn't get a whole lot of, of uh, time on the paper or time at the pulpit, take it up with the Lord. Don't take what you want and create your own God from that. DNC section 1. Do not take the gospel of Jesus Christ and then create your own Lord. Do not create your own Baal, which keeps 90% of the gospel, but then that other 10% is pretty dang serious, you know? This is not the time to be screwing around. We are witnessing live what Nephi saw in vision. Okay, I'm quoting President Nelson here. We need to live in such a way, especially right now. It's scary, guys. It's scary. We're talking about famine. A famine in the land. The likes of which you can only find in Helaman chapter 11. You know, we're... We're looking at some incredibly serious stuff here. Some really scary stuff. We need to live in such a way that we can worthily look to the heavens and expect miracles. Go back to the book of Judges. That was some pretty serious hard times that the Israelites went through. They lived under oppression. But there were miracles that happened. And we need to be worthy. We need to live in such a way that we have faith in the Lord God of Israel. There are more of us than there are with them. 
hold to the rod. If you have left the rod, come back to it. I'm going to say it again. Live in such a way that you can expect miracles. Not proudfully, not boastfully. Okay? I'm talking about looking to the heavens and saying, Father, I've done everything that you have asked me to do. And if it is my time to die, then I trust that you will take care of everything that I leave behind. However, I also have faith that if it be your will, you will just make miracles happen to enable me and my family to make it. I love you guys. I don't care what nationality you are. I don't care if you are in Russia. I don't care if you're in the Ukraine. I don't care if you're in Canada, Australia, Egypt. Okay, I've got listeners all over the place, and I love you guys. And there will come a time when our wicked, corrupt leaders will be brought to justice under, under God's judgment. And every one of us will kneel. And together we will confess that Jesus Christ is the King. He is our master, and we'll do it together. I love you. I bear you my testimony of the truthfulness of this gospel, of the unbroken line from Joseph Smith down to our current prophet, President Nelson. And I beseech you to hold to the rod, read your scriptures. Wrestle with your problems, but do so in a faithful way, leaving your wants and desires out of the mix. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.